You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. I said, hey, hey, welcome to the Man Cave Happy Hour. I said, hey, hey, welcome to the Man Cave Happy Hour. We're going to drink a fine whiskey and smoke a really fine cigar. It is time for a happy hour. It is the Man Cave Happy Hour. Whiskey, cigars, spirits, and the stories that go along with them. I'm Jamie Flanagan. And uh, we got Matt Fox there, locked up. Hey, I'm Matt Fox. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> there he is. All right. There he is. It hey, is, hey. Uh, it is a, a, a tasting Tuesday. And I'm Michael Shore. Hey, Michael. Here's Michael. It's always good to see you on a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. Then you know why. Oh, JLB. It's kind of like <laughs> LRB. Day. Jo- a little Joe Louis Bourbon tasting Tuesdays uh, with a man cave happy hour, Joe Louis Bourbon. And uh, yeah, just uh, looking forward to it. Mike, do we have, uh, are we getting a tour today? Is that uh, is that what we have on? Well, um, l- allegedly we are, but he hasn't called in yet. Okay, so. fair play. That'll be cool. Me, um, yeah. So kind of the thought uh, behind today, well, a couple things we wanted to talk about. Um, cause it is, uh, today it is March the 87th. Uh, and if you check your calendar, it actually is March 80, March 87. Um, and, uh, no, it's not really, but we're, we, we, we're, we're, we're around Memorial day, right? So it's uh, Memorial day, 2020. Uh, it just happened and, and thinking about the, the people that gave their lives, uh, for the country, uh, like Joe served, uh, our country. Um, and uh, served well. And uh, we were going to talk a little bit about, because uh, his name popped up in, a, in an article I was reading about uh, the Arlington uh, National Cemetery uh, the, and uh, the uh, uh, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier there. Uh, mm-hmm. Charles, you might know this. Do you know how many steps uh, the, the guards take there at the, at the, at the tomb? Uh, you got me, man. I don't even want to hazard a guess. Yeah, they did it. They did something highly appropriate, but I, 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 you got me there. They did it on Jeopardy, and like everybody, the three people on Jeopardy last week got it wrong. Matt, do you know? I do not. Okay, Michael, do you know? All right, right on. So I, I wouldn't, you know, I read the little article, so I, I know it's twenty-one steps, like a twenty-one, uh-huh. twenty-one gun salute. Um. So yeah, so it's uh, twenty-one steps. I have a little, I have a little picture to share. Oh, yeah, and, and I should, I should know that answer because I visited the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier plenty of times. Yeah, and, and at the Arlington National, my mother even had her retirement ceremony at the National Arlington Cemetery. I should know that. Wow, now I do. Wow, wow, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's pretty interesting. So they 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 take twenty-one steps. Uh, kind of in reference to the 21 gun uh, salute. Mm-hmm. And uh, they pause at the end. Um, and it takes, so it takes them from back and forth uh, 21 seconds, right? So it's 21 seconds. Uh, again, that makes sense. Uh, their gloves, do you know why their gloves are wet? Ooh, this is trivia. Yeah. So yeah, they, they, been deep on this one. Yeah. Man. So their gloves are wet. Um, <laughs> we need to be prepared for this. So they don't lose. Yeah. <laughs> they don't lose a grip. They don't lose a grip uh, on the on the rifle. Um, 
And uh, does the does the guard carry the rifle on on the same shoulder all the time? No, he does flip it when he's walking down. He, he flips it on one side. He turns. Yep. It's the other side. So it's, it's to the outside. Yeah, it's to the outside um, yep. shoulder. Um, how do you know how long uh, somebody? Uh, how long each shift is there? Each shift for I would say tw- is it twelve hours a shift or is it eighteen? Thirty minutes. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. So I mean they're on twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five yeah. uh, days a year. Um, there's somebody there. Uh, they're there at the tomb. Um, but does that mean? Does that mean that it's people are rot- they're rotating, so yeah. they're taking a break and yeah. they're doing another shift. So there's it's a whole like a different squadron yeah. there. You know. 30 minutes. So they each get 30, 30 minutes. Uh, you have sentries and you have guards and the sentries, uh, are like guards in training. Um, but you don't get the, you have a special pin that you wear. Um, and if you're one of the guards, uh, and you get to keep it for life, um, Mm. like, like many, like many patches. Uh, but what's different from this pin, uh, than other pins in the military, um, it could be revoked. So if you're ever committed, if you ever uh, get convicted of a felony or get a DUI, oh, wow. um, uh, get arrested, uh, you lose your you lose your pin, and your name is stricken from the record of guards uh, from the Jeez. yeah yeah. So it's it's, it's high stakes stuff. Uh, people yeah. think some of the some of the misnomers about the uh, the guards there is that, oh they can't drink and they can't swear. Um, well, they can't be drunk on duty, <laughs> but when they're off duty, off duty is off duty and they can, they can have a cocktail, uh, as long as they're I, uh, drunk and disorder. I lived in, when I lived in DC, we actually would go and see, I never paid attention to how many steps, but one of the things I did, uh, witness and, and watch was the changing of the guard at the, at the, at that exhibit. And there is definitely a cadence to the changing of the guard because they do it every 30 minutes. So they actually have to past the baton yep. I guess as it would be so it's yeah. actually pretty cool to watch it, it's astounding it's, it's uh, I sat there for like an hour and a half just watching it just it's just it's just mesmerizing it's it's uh, I it was like cathartic uh, it was just uh, it, 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 yeah I got a respect yeah. for the the thing uh, and the, so they, they have to uh, when they first uh, take on the commission of being a guard there mm-hmm. um, they can't talk to anybody and they can't watch TV and they can't watch the news or read the news for the first six months that they're in training. Um, just, I don't know, just kind of purifying, I guess. Um, but yeah, so they're they're They, they spent most of their time in that six months studying. Um, and they, they need to memorize, um, where at least 175 of the notable people who are buried in Arlington, uh, are laid to rest. So they need to know that so they can they can help people. Now when they're when they're the the guard on duty and you know they're not stopping to give directions or anything, but the other sentinels are around making sure people are respectful. Um and uh and then they're lending a hand when when they can. So it's it's pretty cool. So some of the notable people uh yeah. there President Taft. Yeah, I'm, I'm sharing the picture that I shared earlier, which we talked through. There you go, yep. President Taft. And then, uh, of course, uh, the yep, uh, yep, the connection to uh, the connection to our show here, uh, Joe Lewis, which is he's he's really kind of uh, just down the walking path, right? That monument there is just mm-hmm. down the walking path from yes. the, the tomb Very of the close. unknown unknown soldier. So, uh, who else is in there? Audie Murphy is the most decorated soldier of World War II, and he was a Hollywood actor. Um, so yeah, so, uh, just kind of raising a, a toast to, uh, the men and women, uh, who serve 
uh, and people who gave their lives this Memorial Day. We're thinking about them. So cheers. Uh, cheers to them. Thank you for that. Yeah. 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 So, but, uh, but yeah. So the, I mean, the military and the military and, and whiskey are, are very much tied together. <laughs> um, we, uh, they have very specific regulations about who can be buried in Arlington because it's, yeah. it's, it started getting crowded, right? It's getting crowded. So they cut back and Joe Lewis actually didn't meet the, doesn't meet the requirements, um, for right. it. But Ronald Reagan, president at the time, um, made an exception. He was like the 30, at that time, he was the 39th exception, uh, when he passed away at age 66 in Vegas, uh, from a heart attack. So, uh, President Reagan, uh, made the exception, uh, cause he served in World War II. He never saw combat cause they were afraid that if Joe Lewis had, uh, been captured or was killed in combat, the Germans would use that as, as propaganda, uh, big time against the United States. Um, so they, they kept him relatively safe. They had him fight. Uh, he wasn't fighting with a gun in the, in, in the, in the trenches or on, on a boat. Um, he was fighting, uh, in the ring, uh, and, and raised a, a lot of money, uh, for the U.S. Army. I mean, it, it's, it says, I, I've seen a couple different numbers, but Charles, did you, do you know anything about like the amount of money and monies that he raised? And I know he personally well, donated. I did. Well, I actually wanted to throw something in there, um, a little bit. It's a little bit off of what that quote you did, the question you just asked. Okay. But, um, but anyway, it's, it's about Ronald Reagan and like his attachment to Joe Lewis. Yeah. He said they were friends. Is, it said they were friends. Uh, that I can't testify to that. Um, but I, it's kind of an interesting story that Ronald Reagan, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do revolves around the 1935 sports season, the city of champions, yeah. uh, in Detroit. And it's interesting because, uh, Ronald Reagan got his break in Hollywood as an announcer during the 1935 world That's series. Right. He a, yeah. He I was a broadcaster. Yeah. yeah he so was he a, was part of that. He was, yeah, he was a broadcaster. I, I think it was, I think it was game two or three of the world series, but Ooh. There was something where he was uh, he was like a relay reporter, like where it like his broadcast got sent out to the western part of the country. Yeah. And it was just like it was like out of the blue. It was like something that kind of um, fell into his lap. And in uh, Eldon Auker, who was a pitcher for the 1934 and 35 Tigers, he had something to do with it. I, I'd have to go back to the book to, to my books to see exactly yeah. what it was. But Eldon Auker um, was one of the great uh, starting Tiger pitchers at that point. Mm-hmm. He had something to do with uh, Reagan getting that chance. And so uh, years later, years later, um, uh, he, Reagan thanked Eldon Ocker for getting that break, for him helping him get that break. I think what it was, actually, I think what it was is he already had the break in the, in the he, he was already the broadcaster, but Eldon Ocker gave him like a, gave him a face-to-face interview prior to the start of one of his World Series starts. Mm. I think that's what it was. And it was like a, just a great interview. And so anyways, how I think it really ties into Joe is, is that 1935 was really the year that it was Joe Lewis mania. Yeah. You know, when, you know, whenever an athlete has like a signal, you know, singular year where there's like a mania, like everything they do is like front page, you know, 1935 really was Joe Lewis, all the stuff going on in sports, Joe Lewis was the number one subject. Huh. And so I, you know, I believe that Reagan, you know, Reagan being, you know, sort of involved with that environment at the time, um, he would have been very well, you know, I'm sure that was, you know, he, he firmly recognized the value of Joe Lewis. And so you know, years later when the opportunity came to, uh, you know, lay Joe to rest in Arlington, I think that, you know, Reagan probably would have been like, absolutely, you know, like that's a no brainer, man. Like, you know, he, he really was, I think, um, you know, he, he was there for that rise of Joe. So, so I think that that, um, I think that, you know, I, I, for him, I think that would have been like an absolute no brainer. Yep. He, yeah. And like, like I said, Joe raised just a crap ton of money, 
uh, for the army while he was in it. And oh, that, he, yeah. He personally, sure. he personally yeah. donated money. Yeah. Um, he, he fought a lot of exhibition fights during the war. Um, in front, like kind of like you, he did a lot of like USO type tours where he was like boxing random, you know, GIs, not, not, you know, not trying to kill him or anything, of course, but, um, you know, there was, a, there was some prime years of Joe, Joe's career where he spent them, you know, you know, if you're a heavyweight champion and you're doing USO tours for four years, a lot of those, those fights don't even go on your record. Right. And, um, yeah. And even with, and even with those four years, really, you know, like they talk about baseball players missing the prime of their career because of world war two, um, you know, it, uh, you know, Joe really missed, you know, four years. He didn't, um, I have to look at double check his record, but I'm pretty sure he didn't fight any really, um, major fights or even anything on his record during world war two. So you could say the same thing about Joe, like he missed a lot of prime years during world war two and he still retired with the most title, you know, still to this day, the most, um, heavyweight yeah. defenses, even so, with that. Charles, what I was, what I was going to point out here, a couple yeah, of things. That's right. sweet. That's really, this cool. is, this is the actual, an actual, uh, this is the Congressional Medal that was that was uh, released in 1981 after his death. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and this is the this is the coin that's on the, that's printed on the on the bottle of the Joe Louis Bourbon. But in the back, you know, it talks about 1937 to 1948 uh, sure. world heavyweight champion. Yep, yep. Boxing, Very cool. uh, and it's pretty cool. And so the other thing that was released around that time, which I happen to have. Ooh. I'm getting all these articles. Didn't know show and tell. I'm happy. <laughs> this is and it's in a it's in a sheet because it's uh, this I've is got those stamps too, man. I've got yeah, the stamp right here. Look at this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this is an original full you know collector sheet. So it's wow. That's cool. That is cool. You know, I got them a little deeper in my archives than right. I thought I had them right there, but yeah, yeah. I've got the, I love those stamps. Oh, oh, I've got yeah. those too. Yes, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Um did I show you these last week? Uh, no, no, you did not. Okay. On the original, uh, 1952 Joe Lewis bourbon, um, the first release came with these leather gloves. Those are cool. Are those, are those they, and, right? Are those yeah. actually those are awesome? Yeah. I mean, they're leather. It's real leather. It's stitched and everything. You can't put them on, but maybe your gerbil could, but, yeah. uh, when you hold them up in front of the camera, they look, look at the detail. Look at the detail. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you just? So uh, did you? Just we actually, them? I will tell you, and and um, there was so much energy, yeah, that went into trying to find a way to recreate these that looked good on the new bottle. Right. It became literally it almost derailed the release because uh. it was the last we couldn't couldn't get it right. Couldn't get you know, we did, I mean, Peter, this was his life's work for months, just trying to figure out how to get the gloves on there sure. with die cast models with, you know, and we ended up basically saying, I, I thought they I were, had to, I had to talk him out of it and say, Peter, we can't not meet the release because we can't figure out the gloves. We'll figure it out later. We'll I thought they were, time. I thought they were red plastic. I thought they were little red plastic gloves. No, they were those on the original. Wow. Yeah, we were we were we were playing with uh red metal or red plastic. Those are serious oh. uh But these are yeah, this is yeah. Just... yeah. Put those on your box with your friend. <laughs> Holy crap. Remember, remember like football, like table football, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Table, finger table, box. Finger boxing. Oh my god, I love those. I love, I love right, those I have so one much. more thing yeah. that uh, to share. 
and this I'm actually we're, we're turning it into a series on social. But the um, Joe Lewis wrote the book on how to box. Okay, and there's some very cool history here. Yeah, um, like for example, I guess this is how I look at first whoever's fighting me. Don't get hit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, a couple of others then. The t- the uh, cut tagline is, I'd rather punch a bag or Joe Walcott than have to punch this. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> One more. And then we, me in 1936 before the first smelling boat when I needed some lessons myself. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's smiling. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> that's great. Anyway, there's much more here. It's really, it's, it's incredible. Of course, yeah. it's very old, so it <laughs> needs to be hermetically sealed in the... Right, right. You know, well, we talked to... We, we, went, we mentioned that, you know, that when he was in the army, that they wanted to keep him safe because they didn't want the, the propaganda, if, if something were to happen to him, to let the Germans have that as a propaganda tool uh, against the United States. And uh, the Schmeling fights, uh, very much... Major pieces of uh, propaganda uh, on both sides, um, you know. Uh, just to, so, what is the what is the history on on those on those two fights? How did how did he get his way into the first fight, uh, and then um, didn't end as well as he would hope? And then he got the second fight. Well, Are you asking me to? Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I hope you know the answer. Yeah, to that, Charles, Charles, you have to, uh... Oh, yeah, I was I was sure you're asking me, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, Charles. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of 1935, Joe was um, you know, again, Joe, 1935 was Joe Louis Mania. You know, it was Joe Louis Mania. So, um, so going to 19, I mean, they're really, I mean, they were putting everybody they could against him. They were putting like barroom brawlers. They were putting every. They put this guy in there. His last fight in 1935. Um, was a boxer who was like his style was they call him the turtle because like all he did was like just pure defense like he was all defense and he would like look to get in a punch and he beat them all he beat everybody and so like really the only person they could really it, but the problem was in 1935 was if you've seen the movie Cinderella Man was that um, is that uh, James Braddock won the title mm-hmm. for Max Bayer so that was the that was the everyone you know when you see the movie Cinderella Man it's like you know sort of a real life Rocky story and that you had a guy who was um, you know, James Braddock, his record was no, like, like he had no chance against Max Bayer and James Braddock by, it was really a miracle that he won this fight. Um, and, and therefore won the heavyweight championship. So Joe, when he faced, uh, Max Bayer in 1935 had to face Bayer without the title. So that's really like the forgotten sort of like downside of that Cinderella man story. Was it really put just the, there was only, that was the only, um, the only, uh, you know, blemish on the 1935 season with Joe Lewis was that he, that he, that he killed everybody, but he just didn't finish with the title because now it was in Braddock's hands. And so, um, so anyways, so everybody knew that Braddock was really just a custodian of the belt until Joe Lewis had a chance to take it from him. I mean, it, they weren't even in the same class as far as um, your talent. And so, and so the idea was, and so they were looking for anybody they could to fight Joe Lewis until they could come to an agreement with, you know, with the, with Braddock to get it, to give Joe the chance to belt. And, so, anyways, um, uh, so so he went through all these different fighters, and in the early in nineteen thirty six, 
they uh, they were going to uh, match uh, um, Schmeling, who was actually, I mean, he was a top-tier fighter. That he just, he was, you know, just hadn't had a chance to face Joe yet. But he was pretty much the last guy that was out there that even was even, you know, was even um, a decent fighter that Joe hadn't faced yet. And, and Schmeling was a, was, a, was a good fighter, though. He won the heavyweight championship in 1930. And uh, so he was a previous heavyweight champion. He was, um, you know, he was a great fighter. And so... Um, as the story goes, uh, Schmeling went through uh, hours and hours and hours of tape on Joe Lewis, and he found a flaw in Joe Lewis's uh, technique. He was scheduled to fight Lewis in, in 1936, and he found a flaw in Lewis's um, uh, style, which was that Lewis was the biggest thing that Joe Lewis, like everybody looks at Joe, you know, Joe Lewis ranked the hardest puncher and heavyweight in boxing history by Ring Magazine. Um, Joe Lewis just a total knockout artist, but really the big, the signature move of, with Joe was his, was his left-hand jab. His left hand jab was just devastating because you could not you could not get in on him like he was that left hand he just used the left hand jab for everything and so I mean it was just like it was just lethal and they call it originally they called it the Detroit style but they perfected with Jack Blackburn um, with you know where he just where his where his jab was just devastating he just he did everything based off that jab so anyway so so Schmeling found the the what Schmeling found was that. When Joe Lewis threw that jab, when he was recoiling that punch, if Schmeling could follow that, follow, you know, follow behind with a right, you know, like, he, you know, that was the one moment. It was the only weakness in Joe Lewis's entire arsenal was to, was that he had to immediately, and you're basically selling out, you know, like when you're, when you see that jab coming, you block it and immediately you got to throw that right, no matter what, that's the only weakness. And so he did it and he, and he, and he beat Joe Lewis in 1936, which was just unbelievable i mean it was unbelievable that joe lewis had been beaten because he had been risen to such an incredible level it was like was 67 fights or something before that defeat or some crazy it was like some 67 fights without a defeat Uh, i'd have to look over i think it was more in the 40s oh okay yeah that was later yeah 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 i think yeah i think it's 35 i'm go ahead i'm sorry no, I was going to say that, that right. It wasn't really, remember, 1937 is when he began his championship reign. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Well, yeah, but, the, but, but I, I have a great quote here, though. Just to, just to get, give a little, paint a little picture of, of really what that defeat meant. This is quote, a quote from Langston Hughes, mm. um, the, the writer, oh. uh, who, who was present at the 1936 defeat. And he, here's how he describes it. I walked down 7th Avenue and saw grown men weeping like children and women sitting in the curbs with their head in their hands. All across the country that night, when the news came that Joe was knocked out, people cried. It was now, yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, the opposite of that is in Germany, uh, Hitler contacted Schmeling's wife, sending her flowers with a message. For the wonderful victory of your husband, our greatest German boxer, I must congratulate you with all my heart. Wow, wonder how that yeah, turned around. Yeah, in two he years. really. Yeah, he, he was really Schmeling was really elevated into you know in, into an idol in Germany during that point. I mean, he was like, I mean, I, I thought there was like a, I think there was a parade or something too. Like they really like the propaganda really kicked into overdrive with that that with that victory. So, um, and here's a quote from Schmeling that he that he told to a German reporter after that after he beat Joe. At this moment, I have to tell Germany, I have to report to the Fuhrer in particular that the thoughts of all my countrymen were with me in this fight, that the Fuhrer and his faithful people were thinking of me. This thought gave me the strength to succeed in this fight. It gave me the courage and the endurance to win this victory for Germany's colors. So uh, 
you know, that wasn't going to be taken lightly. <laughs> no, that was the, that was huge. It was absolutely huge. It was, and it was crazy. And in Detroit, here's like a, this, here's something that like literally nobody knows. I mean, this is something that's just absolutely under the radar. And it's really a sad testament to the city of champions thing, because at the end of the 1935 season, they commissioned this big wooden plaque that was signed by, it was, it was, it was signed by every governor in the country. It was, it said on the plaque, um, you know, recognizing Detroit as the city of champions was a big quote on there. And it was signed by every governor in the country on these little wooden tabs. They sent these little wooden tabs across the country. Um, and it was signed by all these governors, by every governor, 48 governors. And then Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the top tab. And so it was this magnificent wooden plaque. And the sad thing was because it, the plaque was getting commissioned, it was built in, it was made in Grand Rapids. And at that moment, Joe Lewis lost. And they, they had all these little, um, like little uh, uh, relief, like figures on the outside of the plaque with every sport that Detroit, all these different sports that Detroit had won in. And they actually took the boxing one off because because Joe lost that fight. Oh. That's how bad that was. They took it off. They actually took it off the plaque. Oh and man! Like, yeah, yeah. That's the that's now, here's, really, here's to me. That's the this is the way in entire story. This is the way in for 1938, which, as we now know, had a very different outcome. Mm-hmm. Well, the th- well, that's I just want to say something real quick about the 30 about his championship in 37 about how how. The, the interesting, I think one of the most interesting components of the story is that this, the loss in this fight actually set up a situation in which Joe got his opportunity at the championship. Because here's the thing is that the Braddock, Braddock's contract, you know, he was, he was, he was affiliated with the Madison Square Garden group, which if you remember from the last podcast, we were talking about um, the milk fund. I believe we were talking about the milk fund for babies and how um, it was either this last one or maybe another one, but we, anyways, the idea was that the Madison Square Garden controlled boxing and Mike Jacobs, who was Joe Lewis's promoter, was trying to break into Madison Square Garden. So there, so Lewis was like not associated with Madison Square Garden at that point, but his camp was trying to get in because that was like the, the big money fights was at Madison Square. That was whoever ran Madison Square Garden controlled boxing in the United States. And so the fact that Braddock was under control by the Madison Square Garden group um, was, you know, that, that made it so that now they had to negotiate basically with, with the enemy. I mean, that was – and so – and so, so what ended up happening was, is that when Joe lost that fight to Schmeling, it catapulted Schmeling into the position of being the top contender for the belt with, with Braddock. And Braddock was, and Braddock was even a, was even an inferior fighter to, you know, Braddock was not even in the same caliber as, as Schmeling. And so the fear was, you know, especially as the, the U.S. was, you know, moving towards World War II, was that if, that if Schmeling got that fight with Braddock, uh, then if, if Braddock you know, lost to Schmeling, which was more than likely that the belt would then, the belt would then go to Germany, you know, and then that, now you're talking about real propaganda, you know, when Hitler's got, we got the heavyweight belt in Germany and he would have never given Lewis a fight after that. They would have held that belt for years. Oh. Just max, they would have been, that belt would have been in Germany for, for, you know, however long till the end of the war for certainly. And so, well, you know, like, um, the, the, it's, you know, let's take a the look. Heavyweight, the heavyweight, during these difficult times, you can trust that Mercury Insurance will be right by your side. This is this is a piece of that ad revenue. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, wait, so anyway, anyway. April 5th, 1915, I'm one of the greatest heavyweight Never mind, that's the wrong one. I had the other one queued up, but we'll go back. So anyway, so I'm to show you that this is the knockout. Here we are. Oh, this is the Schmeling knockout. So, so what it did was it here set it is, the stage. It, it set the stage for, um, for actually, like you know, the power.
right to Lewis. Lewis to the old one-two. The first to left and then the right. He's landed more blows in this one round than he landed in a five rounds of the other fight. And there, Max Schmeling caught him with his guard down and tossed that right hand to Lewis's jaw. But Lewis was going away with a punch at the time. Now Max is backing away against the ropes. Lewis is following him and watching for that chance. He is crowding Schmeling. Schmeling is not sitting around very much, but his face is already marked. And they stepped into a fast clinch and a close range. Lewis fights desperately to bring up a left to the jaw and a right to the body. And coming out of that clinch, he got over a hard Boom. right and then stabbed Max with a good straight left jab, and Max backed away, and missed the right, Lewis then cocked him with two straight lefts to the face, and brought over that hard right to the head, high on the temple, and Max tied him up the clinch and rope round, is back against the ropes again there, not too close to the ropes, Lewis out, and Lewis missed with a left swing, but in close, brought up a hard right over the and a right to the jaw, and again, a right to the body, a left hook, a right to the head, a left to the head, a right, Snellick is going down, but he held to his feet, held to the rope, looked to his corner in helplessness, and Schmeling is down. Schmeling is down. <laughs> he didn't even touch him. And he's up, and Lewis, right and left to the head, a left to the jaw, a right to the head, and Donovan is watching carefully. Lewis measures him, right to the body, a left up to the jaw, and Schmeling is down. The count is five, five, six, seven. Eight, a men are in the ring. The fight is over on a technical knockout. Max Schmeling is beaten in one round. <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. Cool. That was Yeah, uh... so yeah, so it, like I say, it um the the it, it it set the state. It like, you know, it the, the it, by by um by like I say, when Schmeling got catapulted above Lewis as the top contender for Braddock. It actually forced like the powers that be and like the, you know the the higher level up like U.S. government and that to to basically press Braddock's camp and saying you need to you know he hadn't fought in two years and he's like okay it's time for you to you got to give him a you, you, like the belt's going to be safer in Lewis's hands than it is going to be in Schmeling's okay like you know like it, it's, it's safer in his hand like there's better chance that you're you know you know you're going to lose basically so it's better to lose to Lewis because Lewis at least can defend the belt versus Schmeling that, you know what I mean? Then just to outright give it to Schmeling. So that was what set the stage was that there was actually external pressures on Braddock to come off that belt and give Lewis that, you know, the shot. And so of course he, you know, he won in 1930s, but they, you know, that came with a, you know, with a contract deal where, where Braddock um, was going to get a percentage of Joe Lewis's fights for years. It was every title defense Joe that did for years was uh, Braddock got a cut of. Ugh. So the terrible economic deal, but yeah. they had to sign it in order to get the chance. And um, of course, Lewis beat beat Braddock, and, and that sets the stadium. And Schmeling's camp was furious; they were furious that 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 Lewis had got so that had got the chance over Schmeling, and um, and it set the stage for the fight of thirty eight. Like even Lewis even said, like the thirty seven fight was like almost a like anticlimactic. He's like, I basically knew I was going to win that. He's like, the real fight for me was thirty eight and facing Schmeling. You know, like that. You know, that that you know, because now Lewis, because now Lewis is the custodian of that belt, preventing. He was the only thing keeping it from going to Germany. And it really forced, I think one of the sort of overlooked elements of that story is, is that it forced Americans, it really created this paradox where, you know, especially if any kind of racism, like, are you going to vote? Are you going to root for a black man? Or are you going to root for, you know, a Nazi, a pretend, you know, the Nazi, you know, Nazi German, like who, it, it forced them to, you know, to who your you know your prime champion is a black man or you see what i'm saying like it forced everybody in the country to you know to actually make a choice and 
Um, I think that I think that was just a, you know that's why it was just so huge. You know, it just it just really added a ton you know gravity to it. Yeah, nineteen the nineteen thirties uh, in America is not a not an awesome place to be an African American person. Jeez, uh, that's uh, that's just. So I should I you should point out. Get, um, so yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to. Um, you've got the, the bottle there that's empty. Yeah. Uh, uh, which we're going to have to fix, but um, the the image in the back, the audience. That's uh, we. I, I wanted to talk about that because we were talking about his uh, his uh, uh, military career, yeah. and when you guys were trying to put together the packaging for the bottle, uh, you were desperately trying to find an image that was uh, uh, not just segregated because um, all fights were, were were pretty much segregated. So, from what I understand, where's this image come from? This is, that is from one of the World War II uh, uh, exhibition bouts. I, I don't recall exactly which fight it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was the only picture that we have were able to source and find that showed that. Now there, are, you know, what was uh, you know a lot, there's a lot of great pictures of the um, the black audiences uh, at their Harlem uh, Joe Lewis fan club places, and that, that's what it would be in communities across the country. It would either be people gathered at home listening on the radio or they'd be gathered in community centers that would be kind of turned into a Joe Lewis fan club gathering um, for all the, for all the folks who could not get entrance to any of these major matches. Not, you know, none of the bouts at Yankee stadium, uh, you know, in Madison square garden, any couldn't get in. Oh yeah. Can't do that with a full one. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, All right, so here's what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. You're in Michigan. You're in Michigan. There are 600, as of today. 600 stores. There are 600 uh, retail stores carrying Joe Lewis bourbon, actually as of last Friday. Uh, And um, you need to go buy a case, and then I'll make sure that the powers that be at Joe Lewis bourbon will – Take care of you. Let me get my wife on the line for this. <laughs> <laughs> honey, I got to. It's for the podcast. I have to. They're making me go buy a case. It's a case, right? <laughs> oh, because I, I want to get one into Charles' hands uh, for, for yeah. all the time that you take. Yeah, love Charles it. has earned the juice. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. we never really Better properly restock. introduced you today. Uh, Detroit City of Champions, uh, your book and the website, the accompanying website, uh, the books, plural, uh, Detroit City of Champions. Uh, just kind of breaking down that whole story of the amazing uh, history of Detroit sports. Uh, everything can be found there. Charles, we we love 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 having you around, man. Uh, my pleasure. I love coming on here. It's it's becoming like a Tuesday ritual, and I I enjoy it. Well, we enjoy it too, sir. Hell yeah, <laughs> and we appreciate. Yes, we appreciate maybe enjoy it a little bit more if I had a shot of whiskey at you know, the Joe Lewis Bourbon every once in a while. Well, but you know, that's well, about the only thing. Right, I well, the, 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 the guilt has worked. <laughs> we're gonna tag you. We're gonna tag you. <laughs> that's what I was going for. I just got permission, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do that. Um, I actually I, I messaged one of our favorite liquor stores uh, earlier today. I said, "Do you have Joe Lewis in stock?" Uh, so yeah, so we'll I'm gonna hit I'm gonna hit him up. He's still doing drive uh, the uh, the the map uh, was updated about two hours ago awesome. with all these other liquor stores on the uh, Joe Lewis website, which by the way is a new website which launched quietly last Friday. Ah, so. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> so the link yeah. to this—that's why the link to this didn't work. Well, the link to this is uh, 
Yeah, and by the way, I you know what I have not. Uh, I, I think that uh, both Rusty Cox and Joe Grants knew were supposed to dial in. There must be some other little uh, hijinks that uh, the Zoom security gurus are are, are dealing. So we'll have to uh, troubleshoot this before our next yeah. episode. All right. Um, I, well, I had one more little piece of history. I wanted to I wanted yeah. to tap into. Uh, we're talking about the military. Talking about Joe, his service, uh, but just how whiskey. Uh, bourbon and whiskey and the U.S. military have been uh, been tied together uh, since its since its inception, really. Um, out of Military Times, uh, J.D. Skimmons uh, compiled this information. The U.S. Army turns uh, 245 years coming up on uh, June 14th. Uh, June 14th, uh, the, the the birthday of the U.S. Army uh, is Flag Day, but it's also National Bourbon Day. So Matt and I are going to be doing a special man cave happy hour on Sunday, June 14th. Uh, and we're going to be toasting uh, our military men uh, and toasting national bourbon day. And yes. so we'll have some bourbon in the glass and we'll be talking about that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it's going to be a, a good day, but not all whiskey is bourbon, right? Uh, we've talked about the rules before about what mm-hmm. makes it specifically uh, bourbon. Uh, but uh, whiskey, whiskey is whiskey, and it's got a deep-seated relationship with the American patriots, the dark drink and duty and country. You got to recognize it. So uh, the Revolutionary War cut off the trade of molasses uh, and dis- inspired disdain during the Revolutionary War for pretty much anything English, right? And the the main drink before the Revolutionary War it was really it was really a rum culture, uh, and with the cutting off molasses and just hey, we don't want to be associated with that. Uh, American spirits subsequently entered the hearts of patriots everywhere. So the word whiskey comes from a, a Gaelic term, uh, ishkabah, ishkabah. Yeah. So ishka, ishka baha is uh, the the word. Yep, is uh, is is the 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 Gaelic word for for whiskey, and it translates to water of life. <laughs> so if you search the annals of uh, U.S. military history, evidence of whiskey-induced intoxication is littered throughout. It's, uh, it's crazy. It is the military's water of life as well. Uh, Congress authorized a, a whiskey ration on November 4th in 1775 for General George Washington's Continental Army. So there was a whiskey ration uh, back in, in, in 1775, and uh, exemplary actions on the battlefield were rewarded uh, with more rations. So <laughs> whiskey's got a long-standing tradition with our military. 1794, an uprising of distillers and farmers in Pennsylvania threatened a full revolution. Uh, and uh, because of a whiskey tax, people were uh, raising up about this whis- whiskey tax. People did not like their taxes. So it was the Whiskey Rebellion, part of uh, American history there. And then the 1800s, uh, uh, the ration was increased for military service. Uh, and it was uh, an integral part of the Lewis and Clark expedition. The whiskey ration was part of how they got their their people to come with them on the expedition. But it wasn't always a, a positive influence on that Lewis and Clark trip. Hey, come for a walk. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get you drunk. Across <laughs> the country and back, right? So, uh, yeah. So, uh, Civil War. Yep. We got uh, check water. out this picture. Look at that. Civil War. Yeah. This is from the Library of Congress. Two unidentified Union soldiers. Whiskey. Drinking so, whiskey. But uh, Meriwether Lewis, he, he made this journal entry in 1803. Uh, September 14th, 1803, Marietta set out this morning at 11 o'clock 
was prevented setting out earlier in consequence of two men getting drunk and absenting themselves. I finally found them and had them brought back on board. So drunk, they were unable to help themselves. <laughs> so that was it. Uh, and it's just, it was just the whole Lewis and Clark expedition. There's uh, another podcast I love, Matt. I think I got you hooked on it called The Dollop. Uh, yes. uh, it's an American history podcast, and they go oh, through amazing. they go through the Lewis and Clark. One of the, one of their episodes is Lewis and Clark. It's brilliant. So, and just this the 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 raging drunkenness of, of that whole thing. Um, and they did do a show about Ronald Reagan, which is they talk about his yeah, broadcasting experience. They do, they do. back back in the day. That's how we got started, like yeah. shouting off from a uh, from a balcony somewhere. But uh, you have a hard enough time getting your friend home drunk from the bar. Can you imagine trying to take him 8,000 miles from St. Louis to the Pacific and back? (laughs) Let's give it a shot. Lewis and Clark, you know. Then Uh, there's also the punishment of the whiskey barrel. Yeah. This is a picture from Harper's Weekly. Yep. Shows a soldier from the Army of Mississippi wearing a a drunk tank, which is a whiskey barrel. Punishment (laughs) for excessive intoxication. That's it. But it says, imagine enduring a brutal hangover and fighting a war while wearing a barrel. <laughs> Not all heroes wear capes. This is from the Military Times. Yeah. Which, it's wow. great. So Lincoln Lincoln had an appreciation for, for the drink as well. Um, and he, he was a big, you know, proponent for uh, Ulysses, U- Ulysses S. Grant, right? Um, but people kind of criticized Grant for, for loving the drink a little bit. Uh, and Lincoln was quoted in the New York Times uh, as saying um, – you know what they asked him about you know grant's recurrent inebriation he said uh when someone charged grant in the president's hearing of, of drinking too much liquor lincoln said uh recalling grant's successes uh if you could find out what brand of whiskey grant drank he'd send a barrel to every other commander in his in his unit that's awesome <laughs> so lincoln lincoln, lincoln doing barrel picks early right uh and then the largest consumer of of jack daniels uh, is is the U.S. military? Um, they are the largest purchaser of, of Jack Daniels. They have a special barrel program, a barrel, and and since 1997, uh, they 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 produce and more more spirits for the military than than uh, <laughs> than they do for anyone else. Uh, so awesome. yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So it's it's available on bases and everything. So uh, the bourbon, the whiskey's pretty integral part uh, with our, our men and women that serve. And uh, again, this close to Memorial Day, just wanted to raise a glass and thank everybody who uh, made that ultimate sacrifice and the families that uh, cherish them. So there you are. Well, this has been um, educational. Yeah. Yes. We're just uh, hanging out, having some whiskey, telling stories. That's what Matt and I like to do. I've got a story real quick about a soldier that uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit off little off topic. Nah. I think might be Bring it. So, um, well, I, I, I spent, I, uh, I worked, one of the ways I worked my way through college was I worked up on Mackin Island for seven years, seven summers I was up there. Oh, that's a lot of bike riding. It's a lot of bike riding. Yeah, I just delivered luggage and all that. So that was my that was one of the luggage guys. So, anyways, um, but I love the fort. You know, I love the Fort Mackinac. I'm not sure if if you guys seen that. And um, but uh, but anyways, the fort had all these really. You know, I I used to be up there all the time. The fort and um, but anyways, I came out this one day. I was like looking through this. There was like a. uh, It was this book that had all these records from all these soldiers in it, like all their just like their their experience, like their you know 
te- a lot of technical de- details, but lot, but it was basically like you know a record of a lot of the soldiers' experiences up there. It was just like this old. I mean, it was like from the times, you know, like handwritten in the 1870s. So I was like looking through it, and I came across this one soldier who just completely jumped off the page. Hmm. And what it was was he he was in the civil war. He was in the civil war, and he was he had. Uh, he had been promoted from through like four, I think four ranks because of just like bravery in the field. And just like, just as unbelievable. like, you're just reading this record of the soldier. Like, man, this guy was awesome. Like he was like a total badass, you know? And so he was like, prom- I think he, so he went from like a private to a, um, like a, uh, all the way up the chart to, you know, Sergeant, like master Sergeant gunner, or whatever. He was like, went all the way up this, you know, up the rankings. And it was, and so, uh, and then, so he got stationed at Fort Mackinac. He got stationed at Fort Mackinac after the civil war was over which was you know you can imagine it'd be sort of a cushy job you know you're just on fort duty up on Mackin island in in my experience up there there really wasn't you know it was a vacation spot but if you're a worker up there you work during the day and then you you drink at night that was the thing like there's a guy that coined a saying up there that said today uh i said tonight we drink tomorrow we ride that was like our mentality up there and so it was no Bad different than the, the soldiers at the fort you know their guard duty or whatever they, they, get, they get drunk but anyways, what was interesting was is that he had risen through all these different ranks, and then you look at his list, and it was like drunk on duty, caught in the blockhouse with a girl, like <laughs> local like farmer's guy. daughter. You know, reports like the local farmer reported this guy for being on property, like at a certain point, like it was like just it went, so it was like all these you know trajectory of rising through the ranks. And then he got to Mac Island and went all the way back down, so he finished off as a private. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, was like, man, that guy was, you know, that guy just didn't care, man. And he's uh, like, you know, he's like, tonight he got promoted all the way through those forces and then, you know, finished off as a private because of Mac and Island drinking and stuff. Oh, my God. So I'm sure there was some whiskey involved in that and in his experiences, too, up there. I, Your I don't name know. is writing. Stick to the fudge. Oh, here's a little happy. plug for Charles. Hey. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's the first book right there. Yeah. This is, uh, so this was the first one. Yeah, and, that's and, the first book. Yeah, yeah. So uh, people want to uh, read more about uh, uh, what Charles has learned and his shares. It's, it's right here on Amazon. Awesome. Yeah, yep. that is cool. So, yeah, Detroit City of Champions, uh, and that's the name of the website uh, as well. Holy crap, another hour has slipped past, gentlemen. Slipped is right. <laughs> it's just, you blink, <laughs> Time man. flies and you're having fun. Hell, yeah. All right, so, yeah, I'm, we'll, we'll try to uh, figure out uh, – uh, what Zoom has got in store for us next Tuesday? Right. Um, when <laughs> hopefully we'll reschedule with uh, our our live uh, tour of the distillery where Joe, Lo- Joe Lewis is uh, is produced and and is aging, and uh, we'll also catch up with Joe Granston, I guess, and we'll keep. And we are still planning on that visit to the secret speakeasy. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to know uh, what what happened with Joe and the. Um, the fundraiser that he did. Well, that's uh, right. Yeah. It, yeah. It, he actually said it. it um, I spoke with him about it. Uh, I don't, I don't have a, a number, but they did raise some reasonable funding. And um, I know that they're going to do another series of them. And uh, the big green egg sponsored that. And, uh, um, and so Joe Lewis bourbon is going to get involved with it. And I know that, uh, I don't know you guys know about the big green egg, right? That's the big, yes. that, yeah. So what could be better than, um, uh, Bourbon, barbecue, uh, big band, 
and boxing. I like all it. the beast. Uh, yeah, road trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right so that's all coming together, and we'll 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 reveal things uh, in the coming uh, next couple of weeks. Cool, cool. Awesome. All right, like, subscribe. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, leave a comment and uh, follow Joe online. Look look for where he's showing up. Uh, New England is. There, are the stores popping up there yet? Not yet. Look, it's looking like uh, by the beginning of July. We're, all right. We should. Excellent. Yeah. Well, get your butts to other, Michigan other because markets, we are. Just to, know, just to give you a heads up here, other markets uh, that are closer on the horizon than uh, uh, are, are Florida, Southern Florida, mm. uh, uh, Georgia, the Atlanta area, uh, and uh, uh, potentially Ohio is coming up. Next, All right. In yeah. addition to the Northeast, so yeah. Perfect. That's on. That's on the dance card. All right, Charles. Thanks again. And uh, my pleasure. Mike, thank you for uh, always having us over here, and uh, cheers, gentlemen. Well, thank you for having me over. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks, guys. Yep, don't go anywhere.